I was worried it was getting a little dodgy in the middle part, but then that finale. <laughs> wow! Hello, and welcome to Two for One. I'm Claire. I'm David. In this podcast, we discuss movies based on the same source material. And today, we are welcoming you to our first Two for One super discount, as we will be discussing three movies each based on the 1911 novel by Francis Hodgson Burnett, The Secret Garden. The Secret Garden tells the story of a girl named Mary Lennox, born into wealth in British India but neglected by her parents, leading her to become, by all accounts, a spoiled brat who's been taken care of by servants her whole life. When she is suddenly left orphaned, she gets shipped back to England where her widowed uncle lives on the moors in Misselthwaite Manor. She is not wanted here either, almost never seeing her uncle and clashing with the house staff. Over time, left on her own to explore and get to know her new surroundings, Mary befriends a young Yorkshire boy named Dickon, discovers she has a bedridden cousin who's as spoiled as she is, living in another part of the manor, and most importantly, finds her way into a secret garden that has been locked away for ten years. The garden helps Mary first experience friendship and love, helps her cousin Colin learn to walk, and in the finale, helps her uncle, the dour Lord Craven, start to heal from his grief. So let's get into the films we've been watching. Each has been titled The Secret Garden after the book. 1949's Secret Garden was the first talkie adaptation of the story. Quick rundown of the actors. For the children, Margaret O'Brien plays Mary Lennox, Dean Stockwell plays her cousin Colin Craven, and Brian Roper plays Dickon. The house staff are Mrs. Medlock, played by Gladys Cooper, and Martha, played by Elsa Lanchester. Lord Craven is played by Herbert Marshall. The 1949 version is notable for being shot in black and white, with the scenes in the garden done with Technicolor, similar to The Wizard of Oz. Our next version came out in 1993, and I would expect maybe the version you're most likely to have watched. Mary Lennox is Kate Maberly, Colin Craven is Hayden Prowse, and Dickon is Andrew Knott. Mrs. Medlock is played by Dame Maggie Smith, Martha by Laura Crossley, and Lord Craven is played by John Lynch. The 1993 version was filmed almost entirely at Allerton Castle in Yorkshire and makes use of time-lapse shots to show the garden coming into bloom. The final and most recent adaptation of The Secret Garden came out in 2020. Dixie Edgerix plays Mary, Eden Hayhurst plays Colin, and Amir Wilson plays Dickon. Mrs. Metlock is played by Julie Walters, and Isis Davis is Martha. Lord Craven is played by Colin Firth. The 2020 version takes the most liberties with the story, envisioning the garden as a vast and magical land, and ending the movie with a huge fire, destroying Misselthwaite Manor. Thanks for that. I'm just going to give you the directors of each movie, and then I think we can get into the content. So the 1949 version is directed by Fred M. Wilcox. The 1993 version with Maggie Smith is directed by a Polish director, so I'm not sure about her first name, Agnieszka Holland. I'm not sure if I pronounced that right. But I just wanted to note here that the cinematography is done by Roger Deakins, who I think he's the only semi-famous cinematographer that anybody would ever know, and I think he's he's most famous recently for working with Denis Villeneuve on... Uh, on, on Dune? He worked on Blade Runner and 
Sicario, and a couple others. I'm not sure about Dune. This is the 93 version cinematographer? Yeah. Wow. I don't think he did Dune, but he's, he's worked on a lot of visually striking movies. Wow. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, makes a lot of sense, um, and it's funny, he's way more famous than this director, and yeah. um, even the director of the 19, or excuse me, the 2020 film, um, which was directed by Mark Munden. Well, the motion picture teleplay was uh, respectful and exhibited tastefulness and class. Who made you an expert all of a sudden? All right, so we have some questions prepared, and we'll give some time to each movie since we are covering three different movies this time. Our first question was, how are the house and the gardens presented, and what do they represent? So, I don't know, do you want to start with the the first one, like go chronologically here? Sure. Yeah, I think uh, in the 1949 version, what's most striking visually is that the movie's in black and white, but I think mm-hmm. that that gives them the opportunity to present Mizzlethwaite as it's almost like a horror movie. Like when she first arrives, uh, it's raining on the moors, which I think it is in every movie just to show the isolation and, you know, the change from what she's used to. But it really looks like Dracula or Frankenstein or something like that. It's just, um, it's isolated and horrifying and they even have scenes where she's walking around the house and scaring herself by yeah. just looking at she like looks at herself in a mirror and scares herself and yeah and since it's such a huge manner there's like you know things covered in sheets and yeah. that looks terrifying and long shadows everywhere yeah. it's not brightly lit when she first gets there um and which is so funny because she's always in every movie she's coming over from india with other orphans and she hasn't gotten along with them, right? Mm-hmm. In the 1949 version, all of the other kids are over and talking, and she just turns around and she goes, I don't think any of you are going anywhere rich, you know? I'm going somewhere where there will be a hundred rooms, and my uncle's super wealthy and all mm-hmm. this stuff. And she shows up at the house. It looks terrifying. Miss Metlock is just dropping her off in the room, and she's just trying to figure out, like, oh, what's, what's down that hall? is that the hundred rooms? <laughs> it's just such a funny line because this thing that was so like this point of pride for her a minute ago, it's like, she's now like, Oh, I am lost. And I'm scared. And she also like, she totally just made that up. You <laughs> right. know, it's just like, Oh, in my imagination, there's a hundred rooms. And then she says that out loud to somebody and they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. So that is the house. And I think in all these movies, like as she, gets settled in the house becomes less of a it's less of a scary place you know she gets more familiar with it and why it's the way that it is right Mm -hmm. um which is more tied into the characters and everything and then the garden itself you know she's allowed to walk the grounds a little bit and she finds the garden is sort of walled off and protected by a gardener who his only job seems to be gardening one particular place because that's where the entrance to the garden is to make sure that nobody goes in. They established the garden so well because it's a square mm-hmm. just surrounded by a wall. And I will complain for the other movies that they don't establish it as well mm-hmm. as the 49 version does. Yeah. Because she walks up to it and just like anyone would walking up to a wall that's clearly like "Ooh, there's something cool in here she's like oh i'll walk around it and i'll find the door and i'll 
see yeah. what's inside. And she gets back to where she started, and she's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> where was the door? Yeah, I think you and I are more obsessed with, like, the geography of movies. And mm, maybe oh. because we watch movies multiple times, we get really <laughs> mad when the geography doesn't make sense. I feel like we just talked about this during Wreck and Quarantine. Yeah. You know, how right, the stupid elevator. We weren't able like, to... Where is like, if that? you can't really <laughs> grasp the layout of the yeah. scene, then even if you don't consciously know that there's something wrong here, mm-hmm. you'll you'll feel it, and it'll be just a little bit more confusing, right? Yeah. So I, I agree that I do think it's a very small garden. They do a good job of establishing where it is, what it looks like, even before she goes in. But she... Becomes friends with a bird, which I guess is just one of those magical things that happens. I like it because it's a raven in this movie, Mm -hmm. and they clearly, like, you can train ravens to an extent. Mm -hmm. The book and both of the other movies have it be a robin, but I like that this movie was like, look, the book has it be a robin, but have you tried training a robin? (laughs) We're going to have this raven. And it's Dickens' raven, right? So it sort of makes sense. Yeah, I don't know if it's Dickens' raven. It's... Dickon has a raven in the 93 version. I think it must be the same raven. All right. Right? I don't know. But the raven basically finds the key for her. She sneaks past the gardener and walks in. And there's like, you know, we talked about it last night. There's like a triumphant like musical cue. And you think it's going to be, oh, they're, they're hyping us up for this garden. And you walk in and it's just completely dead, like yeah. brambly. Um, Still in black and white at this yeah, point. Horrible. Yeah. yeah. Um, but... As the movie goes on, they improve the garden, and eventually they walk in toward the end of the movie, and you see it, everything is in bloom, and they walk in, and it's like the Wizard of Oz, and it becomes technicolor, beautiful. I gasped. I literally, did you hear me? Because I was not prepared for that. Because I was literally thinking, and I think I commented to you, you, like, what a shame that this movie is in black and white, Mm -hmm. because you want to see the garden. And it was so satisfying. It was so satisfying, except, you know, it's 49, and I feel like you want to say that we're still learning how to make movies, but, like, what the fuck was up with their shots of the garden? It was always, like a fourth wall shot, you know, Mm -hmm. like you're watching a play. Almost every scene in the garden was shot from the same spot and, like, wide. It was like a soundstage, you know. They didn't have... It wasn't on a location in a garden. But even with that, why didn't we get... Well, why not, first of all? But then why didn't we get any, like, close-up shots of these flowers and everything? Mm -hmm. It's just, like, little touches like that would make you feel like you're in the garden more. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a missed opportunity, which was more than rectified in the 93 version. Probably the emotional climax of this story is when Lord Craven walks into the garden. Mm -hmm. And that maybe that should have been the moment when it becomes color. Because hmm. they had... When is it? Is it when they bring Colin in that they first show it in color? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean, that kind of makes sense. But I feel like if... if We'll get into this later, but if we think the story is about Lord Craven and, you know, the garden and the house are, like, extensions of him, then it would make sense that he walks into the garden at the end of the movie and that's when it becomes color. But that's not pretty minor. Yeah. No, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And I think, and we haven't mentioned this, but it would be good to share that 
in every movie, Lord Craven finds Colin in the garden. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 49, he is sitting right where uh, his mom died. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually... In the 2020 version, he's also where the mom died. Because the reason it's been walled off is because Lord Craven's wife died in in most of these movies in some sort of freak accident in the garden. And so, in his grief, Lord Craven's been like, uh, no, no one can go in there. In 1949, it was an insane freak accident. They were, like, <laughs> having tea, and a branch fell on her, right? Yeah. Which is so... But then... Like, how how do you not hear, oh, there's a branch snapping, let me get up from right. my chair. But then, so they the kids go to the garden, and they find, like, a, a table set for tea, and, like, a tree with an axe in it, and it's all overgrown, and they're, like, speculating about what must have happened, and they're like, you don't think Lord Craven killed his wife in this garden, but, like, that's what's going on in their imagination. I kind of like that aspect of it. This yeah. is the only movie where it's like, what's up with Lord Craven? Right. Did he... It's an actual <laughs> mystery, which yeah. I think fits in with the way that they were showing the house. Like, is this, yeah. you know, is this, like, some monster that we're living we're living with? You know, because you barely see him, and uh, he's, like, deformed, you know? Yeah. Uh, he's supposed to have a hunchback, but it's, like, kind of questionable whether he really does or whether he's sort of being a hypochondriac and making it up for both him and his son. Yeah. But no, and that's what we're really getting at, is not just what did they look like, but, like, what do they represent? And yeah. I think you're right that it's it's a scary, mm-hmm. tense mystery movie, but then there's this one place where everything's in color and it's fantasy and it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the fact that Mary helps awaken that in this home. Yeah. You know, is is what the whole story is about. Yeah. And I think we should move on to the 1993 movie, right? Mm-hmm. But before we do that, I will say that I watched the I watched 1949 last and I felt like it was the most clarity I, I ever had on what the garden represented. I really thought that it was connected to Lord Craven more than anything else, mm-hmm. more even than his wife, which I think is explicitly in 2020, she died there. I think of cholera or something. Or she in died. 2020, yeah, she died of some disease. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole thing about like how all these people died. I don't know why they kept changing it. Right? <laughs> Doesn't matter. In, in 1949, it did seem like it represented like sort of this hope inside him that had died, that like he locked away his yeah. hope in the garden because like that's where he was connected to uh, his wife. Whose name was? Yeah, uh, her name is Lilius in the book. Okay. So, but they change it in some of the movies too. So. Okay. But yeah, and then the part of him that like walls everything off, like he's he creates this house that is an extension of himself as like this basic, basically like this shell of a person who has no hope and yeah. who doesn't want to be around people and doesn't even want to live, and he. He basically turns his son into an extension of himself. In, in addition to the house, like his son, the same way. And you can really tell because in that movie they actually have him like throwing tantrums. Like there are multiple times that he throws like his oh, his yeah. glass of alcohol at the wall, and that I think helps create like a stronger connection between him and the house and his son. And then you finally get him in the garden, and it's beautiful and it's colorful. And he sees that he was wrong to wall off this part of himself and to lock his son 
in the part of himself that he doesn't like. Yeah. So I, I felt like thematically that was the strongest. And I won't be able to say as much about the other two movies because I don't really understand what the garden represents in them. I, I definitely agree with your, uh, your take there. And I'll add to it that the staff sort of reinforces that discovery that this is representative of something that Lord Craven has locked away. Mm-hmm. Because they say early on, I don't know if it's Dickon or the gardener or someone says like, that the wife was the only one who would ever go to the garden. That it's strange that there would have been an axe there and tea for two. Like, what was he doing there? But then later you find out they took tea together in the afternoon there every day. But mm-hmm. the story's changed over time. You know, they've separated him as not being part of the garden. So I think that discovery that this garden was his and hers is mm-hmm. um, not something that you get in the other movies. In the other movies, it's always strictly it's hers. hers. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, the 1993 movie, I'm glad you shared that cinematographer fact because this movie's so beautiful. And I had forgotten about like the time-lapse photography of the garden. I think that's like really effective. Yeah. Oh my God, I love it. Because like when I was growing up, I would watch this movie and then I would watch the Wild America movies. And if you're not familiar with them, they were just this team of brothers who would go out and film nature. And they were all about time-lapse shots and everything. And so I feel like I watched Secret Garden a lot growing up, not really taking in the plot, but it was just the same as watching a Wild America movie of just mm-hmm. like, oh, this is really pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to your point that the 49 version, you're like, oh, I, I understand what everything's representing and everything. I think even though I watched The Secret Garden so many times growing up, I didn't get it. And par- there are parts of it I still don't get. Yeah. You know? But I, I loved it, and I, I watched it so often. I get the sense, having watched these three movies, that the book is, like, really rich thematically, you mm-hmm. know? And that you can you can reach in and pull different things out. Because it does seem like all these movies set up the same several themes. Really, one is is emphasized, or maybe a couple things are really emphasized. But maybe in the book, it they all work together a little better. This is definitely a story where if you've chosen to leave something out that was in the book, it might cause more threads to fray than you really intended to. Yeah. You know, because you're not thinking of it as the whole thing. Yeah, and it's also interrelated. Like, I think, you know, the 49 version really emphasizes, like I said, Lord Craven and his relationship to everything, right? Yeah. And at the same time, I think it does the best job of showing Mary's maturity. And we should talk about Mary later more extensively. Everything else like falls a little away. And then I think the 1993 version, a lot falls away. I don't know. what did, But what did, what did you think that it was mostly about? In addition to the garden's time lapse and all of that, the other part of how it's presented that I think we need to mention is the moors. Because... More so than Misselthwaite Manor, you get an establishment of where we are with these shots of just the vastness of the moors and the emptiness and the coldness. That creates a similar vibe to the 49 version of just tension. Mm -hmm. Not quite horror. I think 49 did touch on Mm -hmm. horror with what it was establishing, but just the sense of being alone and cold 
And yeah. I think that's just really well established in the 93 version. Yeah. And 93, I think uh, it is more of a kids movie than the other two and maybe that's because mary is really young looking and not yeah. a phenomenal actress i think well i think the 2020 version was the biggest kids movie but then, oh you think so but then with some very adult themes but i will get into yeah, why i think it I'm just missed sure. the mark on a couple things there yeah but for 93 i just i really loved its space and i will say it was shot almost 100 percent in yorkshire which is where the book takes place mm-hmm. And so, like, that seems like an obvious thing, but shoot in the location that your story's happening in, mm-hmm. and you'll capture the location. Mm-hmm. And the other movies just didn't didn't really do that. Um, but the one place they would shoot that wasn't at that Allerton Castle, I don't know if you remember, David, the shots where Mary's looking down this huge staircase, mm. and there'll be, like, Lord Craven and his dogs, or, like... The oh, yeah, servants the dogs, running yeah. around. And there's a lot of shots like that that sort of show that Mary is a fly on the wall for this bustling mm-hmm. manner. You know, semi-bustling. It's only got so many people in it. But, like, she's mostly being ignored and she's seeing things from these strange angles mm-hmm. and just taking it all in. She's got a secret door in her room. Like, there's... It creates this sense of magicalness to it without actually being magic. And mystery. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting that Wikipedia describes it as like a fantasy story. And it's like, it's not fantastical, but it captures that feeling. That's what they achieve with the way they present the gardens and the house. Yeah. And when I say it's a mystery, I think they all a little bit are because they're trying to piece together especially Mary, who's just, like, walked into this situation. And everybody else, like, Dickens, 10 years old, so he doesn't remember what happened 10 years ago. Colin, his mom died 10 Mm -hmm. years ago. He doesn't really understand what happened to her and what life could have been like before she died, right? Because he wasn't around. Mm -hmm. Even though they have varying levels of knowledge about what happened and about, you know, why things are the way that they are, they're still really trying to piece it together. And I think that you're right, like... In 1993, possibly because Mary's so young looking, you Mm -hmm. know, that you can really get, like, she's really small physically, and you really get the sense that she, yeah, she is like a fly on the wall. She's like trying to piece these things together that she can't even fully understand. And one of the things that happens, I think, in, I don't know if it really happens in 2020, but in both 1949 and 1993, is Mrs. Metlock is always saying, Oh, you're not a real beauty. You don't... Oh, yeah. <laughs> they love to just take her down. Yeah, they're things. just, like, taking <laughs> taking a shit on her. Yeah. But, like, the reasons why, you, you sort of understand over the course of the movie. And in 1949, when she goes to see her uncle for the first time, he says... "What like I'd the, hoped you would I'd be beautiful. I'd hoped you would be beautiful. And he says that twice to her before throwing his glass, breaking it, and then she leaves the room. And we really... They don't have much interaction after that. And then they never really, like, close that loop. But in 1993, you really get the sense that Mrs. Medlock is always saying, you're nothing like your mother. You don't look anything like your mother. Because she knows that if she, the more she looks like her mom, and Mm -hmm. by extension her aunt, the more upset Lord Craven will be. Yeah. And she doesn't want that. So she's, like, doing everything she can to avoid bringing her to see him. Because she, I think, knows 
oh, actually, she does look a lot like them, and yeah. this is going to change things and could could be bad. I love Lord Craven in 1993, and from the moment you meet him, and he's just breaking at seeing this girl. Mm-hmm. Very powerful. I think that that actor does a great job. Yeah, I think he's good. Craven. He's I my favorite Lord Craven. I don't love the ending of that movie. Mm-hmm. I think that has oh, the worst... Oh my god. Well, that's what I'm saying. I still don't get this movie. <laughs> I think it has the worst ending because, yeah. as in 1949, I guess things have to like boil to a level where Lord Craven's like mad at Mary for some reason. And she's always like kind of skirting the edge of being bad enough to be sent off to school, you know, to be sent mm-hmm. out of the house by encouraging Colin to like get up and by defying the um by Mrs. Medlock and all the staff and everything like that but at the end of the movie yeah like he goes and he goes to the garden and he sees them and oh, but it's such a great scene because in the 93 version Dickon and Mary and Colin Colin is a pro at walking at this point in the 93 version he's still like shaky legs in the other movies but in 93 he's like jumping around and can do all this stuff and they're playing tag, I guess, like Colin's blindfolded and Dickon mm-hmm. and Mary are hiding and he's trying to find them in the garden. And oh, Lord and Craven is furious because Lord Craven's come home unexpectedly, goes to Colin's room. Colin's not there. Miss Medlock can't explain it because she doesn't realize like that Colin just goes to the garden all the time. And uh, Martha is like, oh, no, they're in the garden. You should go there. <laughs> and uh, Lord Craven walks up to him, and Colin, blindfolded, realizes who he's touching. It's so touching no, and, that like, part incredible. Is You're right. But then everything gets weird, where it's just, like, Mary's upset because I guess she feels like nobody loves her, which at this point in the story, haven't we gotten over this? And there's some weird thing where yeah. she's like, I've never cried, and now she's crying on the moors. And then Dickon is reminded, hey, Dickon, you're of a different social class than everybody. You should just fuck off on your horse. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It seems it's so like weird. It seems like, like Mary's growth coincides with her making friends with Dickon and Colin, right? Mm-hmm. And that that is what allows the rest of the things to happen. And I think you really see that in 1949 when she takes charge of the situation and yells at Colin. And she kind of does that in all the movies. They have their arguments and stuff. But in this one, yeah, you're right, that it seems like that maybe should have happened earlier. And then there's also this, like, romantic subplot where... So weird. She and Dickon kind of have a thing. (laughs) But But then once Colin's there, Colin's, like, jealous and, like, doesn't allow them to, like, play, like, they're together, which they were doing. Yeah, he gets mad when they're looking at each other at one point. And then there's another line where he's like, couldn't I marry you or something? Yeah. None of this is in the other movies, so I don't know if it's in the book. And then at the end of the movie, you're right that Dickon is like, yeah, this isn't my, uh... This isn't my story because I'm just the help. And yeah, like, and he rides so off on his horse. Colin while... and Archibald and uh, Mary all go frolic on the horse. Yeah, they're like together. doing ring around the rosy yeah. basically. And then everybody else is like, well, we, we helped those rich people get through their shit. We're good, you know? And it is, it's so strange because the 49 version, it does have a bit of a romance between Dickon and Mary, but you're just left with that question in 93. There's no love triangle, I don't think. There's no love triangle in 49. But in 93, you also get the sense of, okay, Mary and Dickon like each other. 
if Mary's an orphan, I don't know if she's inheriting anything. Mm-hmm. It's like, is this a proper person for her to pursue? Like, are they going to end up together? Or is this all just stringing Dickon along for their story? And that's something that I lack the cultural understanding of this time period in this place to know, like, what is Dickens' real role in the story? And also, I think they're all sort of retconning a book that even in 1949, the book had come out, like, 50 years earlier, right? Yeah, almost. It's like 40 years earlier. It came out in 1911. So I think a lot had probably changed in Britain, and also it's an American movie, right? Mm -hmm. So they're not directly translating from the book. And then in 1993, I think they do want to retcon things a little bit to make it more modern. But then they keep that weird class dynamic in where Dickon just fucks off at the end. Weird. I think the themes are like the sloppiest in that version. Yeah, I think they went for aesthetic and beauty. Excellent acting. I mean, Maggie Smith got nominated for a BAFTA. Mary, not so much. No, I think Mary's great. But I think we should, at this point, uh, touch on the 2020 version, uh, talking about making things more modern. Um, so how were the house and gardens presented in 2020? The first thing they did is they changed the time period ever so slightly that this story is taking place in. Because it's, it's set... after, or it's during the end of the British Raj, which is only relevant for like a little, little bit. It's it's weird because so the first two movies are set uh, in India. And in 1949, her parents die of cholera. There's an mm-hmm. epidemic during the Raj. And she's found by like a British officer on like an abandoned estate, basically. Like all the servants left. Her parents went to the hospital and died. Well, it's a great way to start the story. These adults just find she, this girl. She has like no clue what's going on. Yeah. You know? And then in 1993, they changed it uh, so that it's an earthquake that her parents die in. Yeah. I'm not sure why. Like, I don't know what bearing that has on the story whatsoever, but they do it. And then in 2020, it's again cholera, but they also set it during the partition of India. Yeah. For no reason. I don't think the partition of India has any thematic bearing on the movie. Can I tell you? I think I figured out why. Why? Because then Mary ends up at Misselthwaite, and Mrs. Smithlock, her first introduction is, the first thing you should know is that we are fully electric. And she flips the switch, and the lights turn on and immediately off, and she goes, but that doesn't mean the electric always works. Mm -hmm. So... If you need to get up in the night, you'll need to take a lamp, by which she means a a candle, right? Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the movie, when Lord Craven is spiraling, he's gotten really drunk. Mm -hmm. He's in his office. All the lights are on, and then the electricity goes out. And so he lights a match to put on a candle and drops it, and that's what causes the fire. And I think it's all this crazy interconnected, we want the house to be electric, so what (laughs) time should we place, should we set the movie in? That's all nonsense, (laughs) because if you wanted him to burn down the house, or if you wanted a gag with the lights, like, you could find a way to do it without electricity. But even if you wanted electricity, you could just be like, all right, we're going to set this in the 40s, right? Like, even if you wanted... It's weird that they center it around the partition in, like, the title screen they say this is during the partition it's irrelevant 
what's relevant is when it happens because you're right like there's electricity and everybody they they like think the house is haunted by british soldiers because it was used as a hospital mm -hmm. during the war and she finds out oh no it's not actually haunted the screaming is my cousin and the ghost so to speak is the ghost of my aunt even though it was used as a hospital during the war so they could have updated it to the post-war period it's just weird that they center it during the partition because that has nothing to do with what happens. Yeah, it's weird. By doing that, they're prompting you to think about the partition and to think that thematically that's going to have something to do with the movie. And it doesn't. There's no Indian people in this movie whatsoever. Can I make another complaint about the time that they set it in? It makes the clothes that the kids are wearing so much less interesting. Especially because Mary has this great bit in each movie where Martha comes and like is bringing her porridge for breakfast. And Mary goes, aren't you going to dress me? In India, my servants always dressed me. And this is where she's not quite understanding that, like, the servants aren't going to be at her beck and call the way she's been used to her whole life. Martha is always like, you know, dress yourself. They cannot dress themselves. <laughs> and it's great in the 49 version because she tries to get dressed and has done all her buttons wrong. I think wrong. that's also so the coolest good. dress. Like, it's such yeah. a good-looking dress and you can see her, like size herself up in it and she's like i think i can handle this and you're like oh she's gonna look good in this dress and then you see her and she like can't tie her shoes yeah. she buttoned it all wrong and it's like it's they're funny. just openly laughing at her for everything but also because she's wearing a foreign dress yeah and then in the 93 version i think martha helps her get dressed but in both 49 and 93 she's wearing this era of dress where it's like why are we putting kids in such complicated outfits? Mm -hmm. But also, like, this is cool. This is very much of the time. And then in the 2020 version, her dresses are essentially smocks. And it's mm -hmm. like, how... Mary, how can you Mary fuck should this be up? able to dress herself, you <laughs> yeah. know? You put your head through the head hole, and you're <laughs> yeah. done. You're done. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't right. know why they changed the time period. But let's... Obviously, what we should be Gar talking about garden is the garden. First. Yes. Garden first, then house. Because the house, you're right, is very... It becomes really relevant at the end of the movie. But yeah. Garden first. Go ahead. In 2020, the garden is essentially a national park that's just on their grounds. Honestly, the first time she gets in, she climbs over the wall. So the whole discovery of the key and everything doesn't fucking matter in this movie. Irrelevant, right? I didn't even, like, we knew that that was a sort of weird thing about the movie, but I didn't even follow when we rewatched it. Where was the key? The key was inside of a statue in the garden that Robin Redbreast shows her, hey, there's a key in here, and then she pulls the key out. Which is only, I mean, it's good that she finds it, because then Colin's able to wheel his wheelchair into the garden. But it wasn't stopping her and Dickon from going into the garden. They were just climbing the wall. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, key aside, she goes in, you've got things like, there's these huge, rocky structures that you climb between there's a big river there's massive plants like there's these leaf things that are taller than she is there's gigantic trees there's no concept of how a wall is surrounding all of these things no it's pretty clearly magical in every sense it's like infinite it's whatever they want it to be i will say about the it's key like narnia yeah I will say about the key that I think thematically it makes sense that they had to break in, but then that they they open it up. There is no key for anyone to find because there's no way in except for Mary being able to break in because she's 
the only person who can. But that only makes sense because it is a magic garden in this movie, and it's infinite, hmm. and that's that's its own choice. And I still, even though it makes sense thematically, it's very seems very sloppily done because she could have there didn't need to be a key at all. She could have broken in, opened it from the inside, which is essentially I think what the movie was trying to say. So I don't know why the key had to be found at all. I don't know if I get that. Well, regardless. The other weird thing is that this movie is the most magical, mm. but instead of a bird being the one to help her, they're like, that's too stupid. We're going to have a dog <laughs> instead. I hate the dog so much. So she, she <laughs> finds a dog on the moors, and I guess this dog also was a... Uh, like sort of an orphan dog, right? They said the owner had died in the war. Yeah, but I also got to interject and say the moors in this movie don't look like moors. Yeah, there's like mountains and I mean and like... She's like going through a forest. It's like you've you failed the brief of establishing that we're on the moors. Well, they show all it All they when, do is give you all that fog. When rest. she first shows up, they show it and then the rest of her like playing on the grounds doesn't look anything like that. And even before she finds the secret garden, it's like, oh, this is a beautiful, lush forest. <laughs> yeah, you know? right? Like, and then this she would finds, be a fun place to play in. She finds the secret garden, and it's like, oh, this is more of that, but even better, yeah, you know? Yeah. And it's infinite. But yeah, it's like literally magical, because the dog is, uh, he steps on a trap and hurts himself. Yeah. And they bring him to the garden, and they basically say, like, maybe the garden can heal him. And then the garden heals him, and it's fine. And that's how they get the idea, okay, maybe the garden can heal Colin, too. Which is also just the, I mean, that makes the movie, the story, so different. Because well, because it's Colin, not Mary that's doing anything. Like, I think you have no, no, to... No, no, not just that. Because Colin's not sick. Right. But then in 2020, since it's like he's healed by the magical garden, that changes it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Colin is sick, and then the garden heals him. And that makes the whole story different. But I think... I mean, I think that's purposeful because 2020 wanted to focus on different parts of the story and not, you know, how has Lord Craven's grief convinced everybody that like because it's not Lord Craven that's doing anything. It's it's the rupture between Lily, I guess, and Lord Craven and Lily's death. No, she's not Lily in this movie. Grace. Okay, well, Grace's death. She died. In the garden, because she wanted to die in a place that made her happy, and she died with Mary's mother. And because of that, her death made the garden magical, right? Which makes it as lush as it looks. her death made it magical? Yeah. Oh. I think she, she gave, like, her love and hope in her death, and she meant for this to carry on to, like, her children, and it became part of the garden, but then Lord Craven locked the garden away. So it's it was always there and it was always magic, but they didn't have access to it, right? Like literally Colin didn't have his mother and he didn't even really have like the parts of his father that made him a good father, right? The love and the hope and, mm-hmm. you know, all of that. That's what I got from the garden. Yeah, I've just been irritated at this garden so i'm glad you got something out of it i mean so but i see what you're saying yeah yeah. i I think they explicitly say that her death imbued the garden with magic okay i think so or they say that she did and you're meant to think that it's because she died with the one that she with the people that she loved uh but then the house 
is its own thing. It burns down at the end of the movie. Metaphorically. Yes, very <laughs> metaphorical. Wait, before we talk about it burning down, the burning down made me think about it because while they're running through the burning house, they go through Grace Craven's room, which has been like mm -hmm. preserved. And because she was, I guess, like wearing all of those like flapper style outfits, are we, am I in the right era to say flapper? I mean, you know, it was probably the 30s that she died. Yeah. yeah. Mary's clothes sucked, but Grace's clothes were cool. Mm -hmm. um, the Grace the ghost. Um, and so some of her dresses were like metallic. So when the house is burning down, you've got these green flames around this one dress, which is like cool, but also distracting. Um, but Grace's room, Lord Craven's wife's room, is important in the 93 version and the 2020 version. Mm -hmm. In the 2020 version... It's like one of the first discoveries that Mary makes that there's more going on here than meets the eye. Mm -hmm. And it's helping her discover her own identity a lot because the sisters, Grace Craven and mm -hmm. Mary's mother, their relationship is so much more important in the 2020 version. Mm -hmm. And Mary is like learning more about herself by being in mm -hmm. Grace Craven's room. But I also want to comment, since we didn't mention it for the 93 version, Lady Craven's room is where Mary finds the key in the right. 93 version, which I think is the most finding the key ever makes sense, because where would she keep the key? And in her room. Thematically, yes. it makes sense that, yes, the key is locked in this extension of Lord Craven, but it's locked in the only part of him that he's allowed to exist that's still related to her, you know? Yes, but beautifully it has fallen into decay so when you think about these the whole the room, room. Yeah. because when you think about these manor houses and the amount of upkeep they need just yeah. to not become filled with mold and vines and even like critters honestly mary walks into the room in the 93 version and like the window's blown out so there's like i think there's like squirrels in the room like yeah. it's nature is taking the room back and so it's just Yes. A cool, again, just beautiful movie. Yeah. But metaphorically, too, you know, yeah. some part of this house is gone, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's a, it's been allowed to decay, but there is the kernel of what can, like, come back. Because yeah. that's what the key is, right? Yeah. So I think metaphorically, between the garden and the house, that makes, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then in 2020, the house, as you mentioned, he more or less accidentally burns it down, although it's not yeah. really clear because you see him light a candle and I guess he's drunk in this movie too. Yeah, I think he's but, too drunk to realize what's happened. But you see him like basically light his desk on fire and then like sit down as if he doesn't <laughs> care. Yeah. And then five minutes later they're like, hey, should the house be on fire? No, no, it shouldn't be on I fire. I love that Colin's like, is that normal? And Dickens like, no. <laughs> no, you made a good point that you're like, how would he know if that's normal? You right. know, he's an idiot. Colin never goes outside. He doesn't know what this guy's supposed to look like. So, so they go back into the house and um they're like oh the fire department's on the way and mary's like no i need to get him i know where he's gonna be and he is he's wandered to to grace's room well he wants to get colin right but then they go through grace's room as well right oh don't they i did not understand because mary runs into the burning building and goes i, I know, know where, where lord craven be. will be yeah 
And I'm like, where will he be, Mary? Because I'm like, I have no idea. And then I've been trying to figure out, was he in Colin's room or was he in Grace's room? I We can double check, but I think he was in Grace's room. And he's just like in a daze, you know, and he's like sort of resigned himself. Like, I can finally, it's like literal self-immolation if the house is part of who he is, right? So she goes to find him and she, she snaps him out of it. And then he's immediately like, oh, fuck, I'm burning the house down. I have to rescue my son. And she's like, no, 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 we don't because he's already outside. So then she gets him and, and they escape. And they're led by Grace and mm-hmm. Alice, the ghosts, out of the house. Because yeah. there's ghosts in this movie, too. Adding to the magicness of the garden, you've got, you've got the ghosts in the house. Which yeah. was another element that, I don't know. It was just telling a different story than I guess I was ready for so when the house when the house burns down i think at first he's he's seeing this as like his own death you know but i think that the movie makes it clear no you can you can let a part of yourself go and embrace this other part of yourself that you had locked away you know and you get the nice shot at the end of him redesigning the house with a voiceover of the kids talking about how they all love each other Mm -hmm. um which is a very nice ending, and part of what makes me feel like it's a kid's movie. And um, I will only say, obligatory Batman reference. <laughs> if, you, if you've seen Batman Begins, like, a lot of the same themes where he, you know, when, when Bruce comes back after college, right, he gets kicked out of Princeton or whatever, and he's walking through the house and everything is covered up, and he calls it a mausoleum to his parents, you know. He's basically okay, like, with whatever happens to it. And then at the end, the the place burns down. And then he's like, oh, what have I actually, what have I done? You know, this isn't what I wanted either. But he sort of can reconcile himself. Like, I don't have to be my father or my mother. Like, I can take what they gave me and build something new on the same foundation. Right? And I think that's sort of what happens in The Secret Garden. Batman begins. No, you're right. You're right. I uh, just want to make one comment on our analysis of the house burning down, okay. which is I thought Lord Craven was in Colin's room. Still not totally sure where he was, but I'm disappointed if his reason for being where he was was because he wanted to be with Grace. Because I was like, oh, okay, he's like, my son can't walk. If the house is burning down, at least I'm going to save my son. And I thought that he went to Colin's room and since okay, Colin so, was in the garden, that's why he's like, I can't leave this room because Colin must be here. And he was just having this cognitive dissonance of, I have to be here because Colin's here, but Colin's not here. And that's no, why Mary's so, like, I need to go get him. I think you're right. This is what Wikipedia says. Mary enters the burning house to find Lord Craven frantically looking for his son in the fire. She tries in vain to convince him to escape as his son is safe outside, but he resists until the ghost of his wife guides them out safely as the fire brigade arrives. Hmm. So right. so I'm right. Well, But I you know what this tells us? What? This is why the geography of movies is important. That's true. And I think it's a little muddled because it would almost make... It's almost the reverse of what I said. He can't go until he gets over something with his wife so we find him in colin's room but metaphorically we must go through grace's room to leave right and she has to come and say Mm -hmm. it's okay like you can you know let go and trust mary right Mm okay yeah but i think that's a little muddled that's more muddled thematically than i would than i would like right 
don't know about muddled, but um, maybe forced. Hmm. We have our next topic, which I think we're both eager to get into, okay. which is what part of the story was this movie in particular exploring? Either what were they focused on or what did they change about the story in order to tell the narrative they wanted? Um, so shall we go chronologically again? All right. So David, what do you think uh, is the story being told by 1949? I think they they pulled two things out, and all of these are obviously coming of age movies for Mary, right? Mm-hmm. And in sort of different ways, like the lessons that she's learning about life and about grief and and those things. But I think this is the one where that comes to the forefront the most. And part of it is that when Margaret O'Brien is on screen, when she first showed up, we were like, oh, this is the girl from, uh, the little girl from... Meet Me in St. Louis. Meet Me in St. Louis. And I was like, she must be like 25. (laughs) And we saw her, and you were like, this is a... Uh, 13 or 30 situation <laughs> yeah. but it was more like 12 yeah, or she's 20. actually 12 yeah. and then we looked it up and she's actually she was 12 when this movie came out so probably 12 when they made it maybe even 11 but she like her she's first of all she's got screen presence like mm-hmm. just for sure i mean she's been acting for eight years by the time she's 12 she so. won an academy an honorary academy award for meet me in st louis yeah. right and she is just really good and i think in the beginning She's got this, like, when they first find her in India, she's got this, like, poutiness to her, but, like, a little bit of a, an authority as well. Mm-hmm. And... Which is great for Mary, because mm-hmm. Mary's used to people doing what she says. Mm-hmm. And she's, like, yelling at the soldiers that came to rescue her. You <laughs> Why know, aren't you standing at attention? <laughs> she can't even... She sort of, like, can't process what happened to her parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and then throughout the movie, she's sort of broken down and... Uh, loses that authority, but regains it when she has to interact with Colin and he's having a tantrum and the only person that can calm him down, she comes in and yells at him and throws stuff at him and acts an adult. And, like, you literally see her go from 12 to being, like, 20, you know, in that scene. In the tantrum scene? Yeah. What a great scene. Because you're like, oh, she's going to go in and yell at him. But then she starts just tipping over all of the tables and everything and it's like what is happening right but now? it was great you lied to mrs medlock you don't care what you say you only care about yourself you're mean and selfish stop being so proud of yourself i'm worse than you are i hate you i hate you i hate you everybody hates you It was like, I get it, like, we're all going through, like, these horrible, yeah. this horrible experience, like, sometimes it feels good to, like, destroy the room, Yeah. but I'm also going to yell at you and tell you to, you know, grow up, and yeah. I think it, she gave him, like, the right mix of what was needed, and all the staff are like, let her do her thing, because everything we've tried hasn't really worked. You don't care how I'll never live to grow up. Oh, stop it, you'll live as long as I will. You just say that to make people do what you say. I will die. Don't you dare say how I won't die. Why, well, you're proud that you're going to die. It makes you feel special. It makes you feel important. You're proud. Nurse. Don't you think I don't know all the tricks? <laughs> well, I was worse the day I was born than you are this very minute. And don't start that crying. I won't listen. 
I do want to die, Mary. Really, I do. You shouldn't. And I think that really works because, like, you're saying she came off very authoritative, um, but the kid playing Colin, Dean Stockwell, he's got, like, a little bit of an angelic face. Mm -hmm. Like, I guess they're about the same age, but he's got a babyishness to mm -hmm. him where, yeah, you're both, like, spoiled brats, but one of you is gonna lay the smack down on the other. And Dean Stockwell's just in the bed like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, yeah. He, he pulled some great faces. He, um, he was good. He's got, like, a classic uh, uh, look, like, mm -hmm. little kid look. Um, also, clearly an American actor that they didn't even bother trying to get him to do a British accent. Oh, no, that went over my head. Yeah. No, it was, like, really... There was no attempt, I don't <laughs> think. And Mary, or Margaret O'Brien, I thought her Mary, she did a good job of doing a British accent. I think she does accents, because another yeah. one of her movies, she played a French girl. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. yeah. So she made an effort, but Dean Stockwell, not so much. Actually, speaking of language, something that I thought was cool in the 49 version mm -hmm. was, I don't know if you've mentioned, but Dickon and Martha, the maid, are brother and sister. Mm -hmm. And so... Part of what leads Mary to befriend Dickon is Martha saying, oh, like, my brother Dickon's out there. Yeah, and... she basically go tells, tells him, yeah, like, like, if go you're going to go play him. outside, find find my brother Dickon because he's a, he'll show you around. Um, but what's cool in 49 is that Martha and Dickon speak Yorkshire, uh, so they use thee and thou rather than you. Mm -hmm. um, each movie keeps them with a Yorkshire accent, which is you know, a fun accent, I think, to hear, and also establishes, especially in the 93 version, uh, the class difference between them. But it's cool in 49 to be like, oh, I didn't realize that they would use different vocabulary entirely. Yeah, and it's such a good marker in that movie because not only... I don't think in the other two movies she really adopts that accent, but because she's using thou and the... Like, every time she, like, slips into saying that... She, like, sort of has to correct herself. You're talking about Mary, because Mary starts talking yeah. like Dickon when she's saying she that She starts talking like mm -hmm. Dickon and Martha by saying thou and thee, which she was at first making fun of and saying, mm -hmm. like, you guys are talking weird. And then she starts talking like that, too. Yeah, and even Colin, by the end of the movie, where they're all just in the garden, mm -hmm. they're like... <laughs> what they're talking about, like, oh, like, people are getting suspicious of how happy we are, like, maybe we should throw a tantrum. Mm -hmm. um, and the whole time they're using thou and thee, and, and then, but then they're also like, but I don't feel like throwing a tantrum. Mm -hmm. And so it's a little bit like they've, their very language is indicative of the change that's happened in them. And it's interesting that it would be using this, what I'm assuming is a lower class accent, not just a regional difference, but... I think it's both, yeah. 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 I mean, well, it seems in... very much like we're living in Yorkshire, but we are the manor owners, so we're not going to talk like the Yorkshire people. Well, only poor people have yeah. regional accents in Britain. Oh, right, yeah, of course. So, yeah, I mean, well, was there another theme that uh, struck yes. you in 49? Yes, in the 49 version, um, I know we don't see Lord Craven a lot in this story but he gets very different amounts of screen time i think in each movie and in 49 he actually got a lot more screen time than i expected especially in the second half of the movie you have scenes with lord craven and none of the children like when he's in london and yeah. talking to the doctor there's this idea that lord craven has gone mad and even lord craven himself says it where he's like 
I'm being tempted by madness and I might actually succumb to it. And calling that out, that this man might not be in his right mind, is an important part of the story mm-hmm. and ends up affecting your viewing of it. Mm-hmm. Then I would also couple that with the fact that the doctor who is coming to care for Colin is straight up a quack doctor in this movie because you see another doctor from London come to do a consult and he's immediately like, you're clearly just trying to get as much money from the Cravens as you can because there's nothing wrong with this boy and you need to stop prescribing medicines and all these other things and just let this kid be a kid. And then that same doctor meets with uh, Lord Craven in London and has the same talk where he's like, you are the person who is sick here, not your son, and you're sick with madness. And I think that's what we would call maybe clinical depression, which mm-hmm. I think 2020 very much like focuses in on, on that as like the cause of, of all these problems that can be you know fixed or at least like helped but they're not going about it in the right way. But you're right, in 1949, they just call it madness. And I agree with you that it would be probably what we would call depression, but I like that they call it madness because the connotations there are like, I'm unpredictable and volatile, Mm -hmm. and I might be perceiving reality completely incorrectly. And at the end of the movie, he comes back from London and is like, "Uh -uh, what's going on, where's my son? Doesn't he, he like goes to Grace's room to get the key? Or I don't remember what his wife's name is in that movie. And he says like... I'm still in the house, Mr. Bromley, to escape if possible the temptation of madness. It would seem that the gods have arranged for me one last chance. I've resisted as long as I can. What happens is that the man who's buying the house from Lord Craven says, oh, and I love that walled garden. And Lord Craven's like, there's nothing in that garden. It mm-hmm. hasn't been open for 10 years. It must just be weeds. And the buyer goes, no, I, uh, I went ahead and climbed a ladder. <laughs> He's and... like, I saw a bunch of kids playing <laughs> in that garden. <laughs> He's like, the garden's beautiful. And that's when Lord Craven is like, something weird is going on. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe I'm the crazy one, but I need to yeah. go verify reality and look at this garden and it's great when he's walking up to it because you can hear the kids inside being like oh should we lock the door someone's coming and lord craven comes in and then he sees colin right where his wife died oh all right it is a really good end to that movie except for the stupid shot of the guy tearing up the check like i won't buy this house because you guys are too happy that was unnecessary (laughs) well i think they never signed a deal so it was more him being like this isn't gonna happen but also like I think things have changed, you know. Yeah. But yeah, we didn't need that shot at all. Yeah. So. Uh, but but I I did like that it made it clear at the end that uh, Lord Craven was afraid to confront this thing that had happened and this part of himself that he couldn't that he didn't want to get in touch with, you know. Yeah. And he finds out like actually this this grief can be beautiful. He's barely or it grieved. can be shared, you know. Yeah, or, right? Yeah. Like, this is a part of myself, and it's a part of my son, and it's something that Mary experienced in her way. There's a really great moment in in this 1949 version where they've realized that the garden has been walled off because of Lord Craven's grief. Because remember, it was a mystery in this movie. They didn't really know why mm-hmm. was it walled off. Did he kill her, all this? And they realize it's just because he couldn't, bear to be in this space where she died Mm -hmm. and that he hadn't been able to chop down the tree and 
and all that, Colin falls onto his bed crying and Mary falls onto the bed crying and she goes, one of them says something like, is this what being an adult is? I suppose, I, I mean, I suppose we're not old enough. There must be an awful lot we don't know. I, I just love yeah, that. I yeah. think all of these movies have that to a degree, but I love the way 49 captured, like, we are kids mm-hmm. trying to comprehend the grief being felt by adults. And the adults and aren't helping. Too. The adults aren't helping. They're not helping the kids prom- process their trauma, yeah. but they're also experiencing it differently mm-hmm. than the adults are, and they can't figure out, like, what is yeah. making these adults act this way? Yeah. You know? Yeah, so I thought I thought Forty Nine did a great job of that, but I don't think it's unique to Forty Nine. Yeah, I think it's uh, just inherent to the Secret Garden. But but you're right. Like the one adult, you know, because both of Mary's parents died, so I think you would naturally expect, okay, like you're gonna go live with your uncle. He's gonna help you process that, but he hasn't even helped Colin process the fact that he yeah. doesn't have a mom, right? That he's growing up basically without any parents. He's just not yeah. there. He's used Colin as a as a artifact of his own grief mm-hmm. not as as someone yeah. to really care for but finally like together they're able to work through it they can be adults for each other and can help can help each other through it let's talk about the 93 version and what parts of the secret garden story that movie really gave time to explore i will start by saying there's a small aspect to this story that is really Interesting and not seen so much in the other movies, which is the relationship between Mrs. Medlock and Martha. I think, first of all, it's important to note that each of these movies has, like, one big-name person that they got. You know, 49, it's Margaret O'Brien. Yeah, she's 12, but she's a really famous actor at that point. 2020, you've got Colin Firth playing Lord Craven. But in 93, you've got Maggie Smith. And so I think you get more Medlock than you do in the other movies, yeah. but you also get a sympathetic a, Medlock. Really? Because I was I was thinking she's more of a villain in that movie. She's a villain. She's a bad person who yeah. should not be being put in charge of kids. So but, I think she's less sympathetic than in the other movies. But she's as much alone on the moors as everybody else and just trying to do her job and in over her head. And when she gets fired and Martha comforts her, I've done my best, sir. I really have. What with that child defying me at every turn. Silence, Medlock. She's just a child. I left you in charge. I resign, sir. I'll leave today. she slapped Martha earlier in the movie there's so much more in their relationship which like I think shows a woman maybe being pushed to her edge and therefore fucking up which is bad like she's doing bad things but it's not entirely from just bad intention or like disdain of children and just like I've been asked to manage this situation that's been cultivated and this is just a terrible situation like the house she is turned into an extension of 
Lord Craven's will in that movie. Oh my gosh, it's like Beauty and the Beast. They're all cursed. It, the whole it's. I was thinking that earlier. Like the whole thing is like Beauty and the Beast, where yeah. like he turns he turns his house into an extension of himself, and that happens to his staff as well, and to everybody that lives there, except for Mary or Belle, who can break the curse essentially. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Mrs. Medlock, absolutely. she's like an extension of his will, but never gets through redemption in that movie right you get the shot at the end where all the staff is watching lord craven and colin and mary i think dickon might still be with them at this point but not quite walking with them (laughs) um walking up back to the manor from the garden and she is so happy to see them and amazed that colin is walking just like everyone else Mm -hmm. and i think that's important even if maybe she's still fired i don't know but just to know that, like, she cared about Colin, even if she was putting him in those ice baths and all those things that were terrible for him. Oh, yeah. She was trying. So I like that. And I also think Martha does a great job opposite Maggie Smith. Uh, Martha's played by Laura Crossley. I liked her. You don't get, yeah, you don't really get shots of Medlock and Martha together in the other movies. Mm. And in this movie, Martha is much younger She's still, like, very happy-go-lucky and very giggly, but not as much as she is in the 49 version, where it's like, yo. But I looked her up, and we were <laughs> like, how old it. is this lady? And she was, like, in her late 40s. In 49? Yeah. Right, right, right. She's old. But in... but why would she have a 10-year-old brother? <laughs> Wait a minute. You're right. That doesn't make any sense. So it makes sense that Martha is, like, a teenager. Yeah. That, that's and what, that she's like, I'm really grateful for this job and I can't fuck it up, man. Yeah, so and why she's like kind of unprofessional at times. You yeah. Know? You are strange. Hey, I know that. But I think she's, you know, much like Mary is what Colin needs. I think Martha is what Mary needs. Someone to be like, yes. I'm sympathetic with you, but like, I'm going to laugh at you when you're being a fuck up, you know? Yeah. And I think they, they went for that in the 2020 version, but I don't think it's as good. She's not... A great character. She's not in it very much. She just Mm -hmm. says, go find Dickon. And that's pretty much it. So that's one part of the story that I don't think is a focus of the movie, but something that 93 did that we don't see in the other movies. Mm -hmm. Um, The other aspects of the story that 93 explored was definitely this weird love triangle. I know we mentioned it before, but do you have any, like, explanation or rationale for why that aspect of the story was there this is a coming of age story part of coming of age is like finding like getting in touch with your sexuality and that's it yeah <laughs> i no, don't have a better honestly, explanation that's than it that. that's what yeah. i wrote in my notes but with a question mark i put sexual flowering because <laughs> i'm like what is it's not like yeah, and... she's riding off into the sunset with dickon obviously that doesn't happen but i think it is an important transition for a kid to go through to realize yeah. like i am gonna become an adult well it's like do you remember when we watched uh pretty close together pan's labyrinth and Coraline? yeah and i was interpreting and i think they're meant to be interpreted as sort of sexual awakenings you know in addition to like all these other things yeah i remember and i think that i was expecting the secret garden to be more sexual and maybe it's sort of like subtext but in 1993 they bring that to the forefront by having like this sort of romantic angle to yeah to these things so maybe it doesn't make any sense because it is just 
Well, it's also... An experience. Yeah, and it's like, okay, so the only girl you know is this girl you have a crush on? Like, that seems right. And for Mary, it's like, oh, you know two boys, and maybe you have a crush on both of them in different ways. One is your cousin. It's fine, you know? That's that's the only real reason. I don't think that it needed to be made anything other than subtext, because I do think that we inherently see maturity as involving sexuality. But I understand I, I understand what they were going for, but it just it doesn't it doesn't fit very well with the rest of the story, which I think is more about grief and that part of maturity, being able to to process things. That because that's another part of maturity. That's that's just what these are about. I like the flowering comment. That, <laughs> yeah. So moving on to twenty twenty as we mentioned, the garden is most explicitly magic, and I think the way that this is meant to function thematically, the grief that they're all feeling, I think it's meant to show that grief can be beautiful and can be a good thing. It's not good to wall this part of yourself off, because you're going to find something that is actually going to help you, you know. That in... grief is like a new stage of love mm-hmm. for that person. And like the way that the garden can heal Hector, the dog, and can heal Colin, although that's a weird choice that they made for the reasons that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. That it has healing properties, that it is magic, right? And that's what they don't understand. I think that's what they were going for with with the way that the garden was presented. But I think they add on more than just the garden Mm -hmm. with all of the stuff about Alice and Grace, the sisters who have died. So I guess Alice came to Misselthwaite. I don't know if she came all the way from India or if it was just before they went to India. But Alice, with Mary as a baby, came to Misselthwaite to sit with Grace, Colin's mother, as Grace and Colin are on the swing in the garden, and Grace wants to die there because the garden's so beautiful. And She doesn't want to die, but she's sick and she... She knows she's going to yes. die, yeah. I just um, want to be clear because there are other no, people good. that are, like, suicidal, <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. So Colin Firth's Lord Craven hasn't really understood what happened there, that Grace chose to die there because it was beautiful, and now the garden essentially is Grace. And he's walled it off because he's not processing his grief properly. I think it's not that he hasn't understood what happened. It's just that he is so he's so upset and traumatized by her death that he makes no effort to go through the steps of figuring it out. You know? It's not that like he misunderstands. He just doesn't want to understand because in his mind he's living in this fantasy where the last ten years didn't happen. Okay. But then he's not the only person we see being swallowed up by their grief. Because even though she technically died of cholera, Alice, Mary's mother, who died in India, very clearly has died of a broken heart for her sister. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you get all of these flashbacks to them in India, which at first are meant to show Mary being ignored by her mother or her mother wanting her to just like be quiet and she doesn't ever actually speak to mary she'll speak to the husband or to the Mm -hmm. the indian servants and be like get the girl to be quiet um but then by the end of the movie when 
Mary's come to realize all of the grief that her mother has experienced. She remembers this time when her father found her after her mother had like brushed her off Mm -hmm. and her father was just like, your mother is very sad. Mm -hmm. I don't know about exploring the story this way. I think the original book very clearly the parents didn't want Mary. They just had her. Oh, really? And she's a neglected child, and she's never experienced love, and that's an important part of who she is as a character. So I think, A, they change Mary by having part of the story be her realizing that her mom actually And also, her. just we, I don't think we explicitly mentioned this, but the movie has a scene where, at, toward the end, when she gets locked in her room by Mrs. Medlock, in the 2020 version. In the 2020 version, she, like, tips over a rocking horse, just throwing a tantrum, mm-hmm. and finds all these letters between her mom and her aunt, and right. they later read them in the garden, and... This is how much Colin's, I love Mary. This Colin's is like, your mom did Mary. love you, Mary, and Mary, like, rejects it at Multiple first. times, but, yeah. But, like, th- she later has to understand, you know, yes, like, she did love you, she just couldn't express it in the way that kids... And anybody wants that to be expressed, right? But I think it just ends up making it a totally different story. But also asks so much of a child to understand the grief of an adult. Now, I know when we talked about the 49 version, I said that it did a really good job of showing kids understand that adults process grief, right? That this is something that affects them and that Mm -hmm. might explain their behaviors. But I think it's very different to ask a kid to be like, hey, you know why you were neglected and your mother never wanted to spend time with you? Because she was sad about her sister. Like, that's asking a lot more. I think the movie asks us to view everything with a more empathetic lens. Yeah, definitely. Uh, There are no bad people. There are just people going through bad things and being able to express themselves in different ways, right? And I think there's some truth to that, and there's some... You're making excuses for some unacceptable things. Right. Like, I think even if her mom was depressed for 10 years, it's unacceptable to treat Mary the way that she was treated in that movie. And, okay, maybe once she's dead, you can find some way to look at her with kinder eyes, but that's not... That doesn't forgive the way that she treated her. Yeah. The people making the movie were literally thinking about the previous iterations yeah. of the story. I mean, like, why don't we hear more about the parents? And it's like, well, there's we don't need to care about the parents. But you I, know? I think done, it was... They've hurt Mary. That's all that matters. I think it was definitely more explicitly about intergenerational trauma and the way that they gave Martha and Dickens' dad... A backstory, right? Where right, they named the dog after Dickens' dad, who's also died. So now we're realizing all which three of these were children meant have lost to in, a parent. We're meant to infer he died in the war, right? Right, because he was brave. Yeah, that's what he says. He says my dad's name was Hector, and he was a brave man. And I think at that point, she's mad at her dad, and hasn't like processed his death. And Colin's mad at his dad because he's a dick. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dickens like, well, my dad's dope. So he named the <laughs> yeah. dog after my dad. And they, so they named the dog Hector. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, Stupid dog. The dog, I mean, I just, I do think it's funny because, like, why why is there a dog, like, in the most silly version of this movie? Yeah. They didn't want it to be a bird. But, okay. Yeah. It's a dog. I mean, I think 
Part of the reason that I think the 2020 comes off as a kids movie is because I think of a lot of the ideas that it brought in are ideals from other children's books that have been made into movies very recently. The dog is very much because of Winn-Dixie. One of the Fannings, I forget if it was Dakota Fanning or Elle Fanning, they just made that movie. And then the other one, Bridge to Terabithia. This whole, they make the secret garden this fantasy world, and it's like, okay, but we've all seen Bridge to Terabithia. We all know that imagination can create a lovely place. This is a different story than that. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Um, just to wrap this up, I think it's obvious to us that there are a lot of interrelated themes in this story and they're sort of played with in these movies in different ways and new themes come to the forefront. Um, but they're all gradations on overall themes of grief and loss and renewed hope. Mm-hmm. And then there's this undercurrent of co- coming of age story that they're either playing up or not. Um, but along that latter part, the coming of age, we should just talk about Mary for a second and how she's portrayed the actress and how she does. And also, to your point, what is and what isn't a kid's movie. So why don't we go in reverse order from where we just started and talk about 2020 in that light. So any thoughts about Mary in that movie that we haven't already gone over? Mary's got a little bit more personality in this movie. You know right off the bat that she's a storyteller, that she's got interests and things. Um, And then her brattiness is there. I did get a little bit of a sense that her spoiled brat uh, persona was informed by the 93 version, Mm. but I don't think it came off as brusque as it maybe needed to. And I would say the same for Colin. Like, there's a scene where Mary says, you're the rudest boy I've ever met, when all he said was, nah, I want to hear a different story than the one that you you suggested. Doesn't he retort something like, well, you suck? (laughs) (laughs) I think he says something. I mean, and they're still doing the same, like, character analysis. There's another moment between her and Colin where... She goes, oh, says the boy who's been too afraid to go outside. And he goes, says the girl who's too afraid that oh, that's what anyone I'm will love of. each other. Yeah. Love uh, that anyone will love you, that you push everyone away. Life needs living. Yeah, says the boy who's seen none of it. Says the girl so determined no one loves her, she'll make it so. And it's like, okay, you're still like analyzing your characters, but you haven't really presented yourselves very strongly as these like kind of annoying kids that you're supposed to be. Yeah. Um, so that's that's my analysis of Mary. No, I got the sense that uh, I, I kind of liked the actress, but I don't know if she was right for the role because she screamed like precocious preteen. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's necessarily what Mary's supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, Spoiler you know, she would be, is what she's supposed to She be. would be perfect for like Harriet the Spy or something like that. Anything <laughs> yeah, where you're yeah, supposed yeah. to follow this person that's a 10 year old girl that's smarter than everybody around her. She would be great at that. Right. Yeah. But I don't know if she was right for this. And I think that sort of got in the way of some of the characterization that you're talking about where she's supposed to be spoiled and she's supposed to have all these layers. And yeah. in the beginning of the movie, she uh, she's hanging out with all the orphans before she makes the voyage back to Britain. And one of them says, she, she asked, do you want to hear a story? And he says, no, I'm not a kid. And then she has like her doll and she is starting to tell a story to the doll and then she stops and she says, I'm not a kid. And she drops the doll in the water. And I think that's what they wanted the movie to be about, like, her growing up. And the movie ends with her telling a story. And so I think the arc is meant to be 
you reconciled that part of yourself, like, as part of the process of going through this stuff. I don't think the movie, like, truly delivers on that arc. I also agree with you the whole, like, she's the smartest person in the room, like, most of the time. And when Colin Firth's Lord Craven realizes that he's been missing out on his son and love and everything for the past couple of years, he goes, How is it that we're taught by our children? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, okay, Mary's been teaching no, everybody. No, that felt really out of place. I, I did not like that line But I think that was supposed to be a, a major theme of the movie, and they yeah. just, it didn't, didn't really hit. I, I know children, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, you learn from children, but it's not, it's not like this. All right, uh, 1993? Oh my goodness, Kate Maberly is incredible. I mean, it certainly helps she's that Mary. she's of such a, yeah, that she's of short stature, you know, and she just comes across as really young. That really helps with being a brat. I love the way the movie starts where she's in India being dressed by her maid, her Aya, and it's just like she's being treated as a doll, which is, if her parents have acknowledged her at all, that's clearly, that's the only thing they've cared is just making sure she's dressed yeah. right. She's great. I don't know. I think... I just, like, I don't think she was very good. How? She just, like, so she, she's not a precocious preteen. She's a little kid. Yeah. And little kids aren't great actors. And it just looks like this girl that they brought in off the street and told her to, like, stand there, say this line. I just didn't think there's a lot to the performance. If you're thinking that she's coming across as wooden or anything like that, no, she's sullen. She says, I don't know really why the movie says, oh, I never cry, I can't cry. Like, that's kind of a weird aspect of her character that they only have in this version of the movie. But it fits for the way she plays the character. No, I think that that little girl couldn't fake cry, and (laughs) they wrote that in. No, because it's so important when she cries at the end. No, they put pepper in her eye. No, hmm. But then, like, her enthusiasm with the garden and everything, when she's, like, throwing seeds everywhere. Dickon! He said I can! I can have my bit of earth! Who said? My uncle! I asked him, he said yes! I can plant seeds anywhere I like! Blue flowers, pink flowers, purple flowers, yellow flowers, corn flowers, foxgloves, any kind you want! I just didn't love her, and it made it, it made it seem like more of a kid's movie, and I think... Because it's a child actor. Because she's so young and bad that I think... She's so good. (laughs) Well, whether she's good or bad, like, her being so young, I think, yeah, it makes it seem like more of a kid's movie. Agree to disagree on that one, then. Mm -hmm. Because I think, I mean, like I said, I watched it a lot as a kid, but it's a movie that's made more and more sense to me as I get older. Yeah, but this is why I think that maybe nostalgia is just informing your opinion of this movie. Um, I mean... I'll take that. That's definitely true. Yeah. And, like, the story itself, I think you're right, like, is more layered and complex than a child can take in. Yeah. 49 version. Margaret O'Brien is 12, but looks a lot older. I think that distracted me. (laughs) She can look 12 at times, but she can look 20 at times. And I think that does serve her well. Yeah. Yeah. And she's definitely a great actor. Yeah. A lot of range in that movie. You're right that there's more, there's a few scenes of Lord Craven, but the movie does rely on her a lot. I mean, on all of these, I think, the movie. Except 1993, I think there's more, like you said, Mrs. Medlock. There's more reliance on Colin and Dickon. The other two, Mary's, really. You have to buy into her performance. And unlike 2020, 
I think you really buy into uh, Margaret O'Brien's performance. Yeah. Who we were very excited to hear is still alive. So, Margaret, if you're listening, we loved your performance. Yeah. And, yeah, I would just say the, the last thing about the 2020 version. I You think it's more of a kiddie movie. And I think it's more... There is magic and stuff. I think it's accessible to kids maybe in that way. Or maybe that's what they were going for. But it is sort of a more layered message. Well, I think that's what muddles the movie, because mm-hmm. they give us the Winn-Dixie dog, they give us the Terabithia world, mm-hmm. and then they say, hey, and the message is, like, this super adult theme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know? So, I don't know. I have one question before we reveal our favorite of these three movies, and that's just with the story in general, these kids have been mistreated. I'm not going to talk about Mary's parents because only the 2020 version wants to talk about Mary's parents. But Lord Craven is responsible, not for Dickon, but for Mary and Colin, and he has failed. Do you think Lord Craven is redeemable? Because at the end of the movie, we want to be happy that they're all dancing around in a circle doing Ring Around the Rosie. I mean, I think movies are about redemption. It doesn't make sense to have a movie most of the time where no rede- no redemption is possible. First Puss in Boots movie, that was a bad egg, right? <laughs> but then at the end of the movie, he was golden inside. Doesn't make any sense, but that's how you want the movie <laughs> to end. Does he apologize in any movie? Uh, he only says, I'm sorry, in the 2020 version. But regardless, what we've seen him do on screen affects whether or not we want to forgive him, right? If most of the time that the character's on screen, they are being neglectful, or in the case of 49 and 2020, they're being drunk and throwing glasses and everything, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna forgive you so easily. Yeah. That's not acceptable to throw a glass. I mean, he didn't throw it at her, but he threw it behind him when she was in the room, and it's like... Yeah, this is the first time Mary met Lord Craven in the 49 version. That's not literally violent but it's a violent thing to do yeah, it's a threat you know yeah and they never close the loop i i was kind of mad in this movie they never closed the loop on why he was upset and why he said i wish you were beautiful yeah. i wish you were beautiful yeah mm-hmm. i think it upset him to see her and she's interpreting this as like you're really ugly and it upset him to see her because she looked exactly like her aunt yeah I think that's a good interpretation that I didn't get at first, yeah. But, like, yeah, there's no excuse for throwing a glass in front of a child, especially a child who's just been traumatized by the death of her parents, and he's not there for his son, he's not there for Mary, he's not even there for himself. Like, no, he's a bad person, but, like, in the same way that Mary's parents are bad people, it's like, oh, can you find, like, the kernel of goodness within these people who have been traumatized? You know, it's not wrong... Giving me an explanation for them being bad is it's, not finding goodness it's not, in them. It's not wrong to look for the reasons that people are behaving yeah. in unacceptable ways. It's hard to find that line of, like, when it becomes acceptable mm-hmm. or unacceptable to take people back in that way. But I think that for people that are 10 years old, he still had a lot to give Colin and Mary. He can't take back what happened for the last 10 years, but he can move forward and give himself fully to them in the future, right? So the movie's ending needs to promise us that that's what's going to happen from here on out. I think that is what the movie's endings do. Yeah. You know? Literally, 
in the form of rebuilding the house in the case of the 2020 version. And I think that you're right, like, an apology. <laughs> an apology is nice, and we don't get it in two out of the three movies, yeah. right? You know, if it was my dad, you know, maybe I would feel differently mm-hmm. that this person stole ten years of my life. If you are Colin Craven, you will be processing the fact that you were bedridden. For, for no reason. <laughs> you know, like, that's not something you just... Nope get over so i think that is an interesting part of the story that is a always been a lingering question for me let's move on to which we would like better before i say that i do just want to object a little bit okay and i just think it needs to be noted the way that this movie does not grapple with the fact that they're just colonizers comment on that i think it's really weird we were kind of harping on this a little bit earlier that they changed it to the partition it's really weird to change it to the partition and then not have it matter at all. Not and have there comment, be a reckoning with a... Comment on yeah. what Britain did to their colonies, right? Yes. And that Mary's parents were a part of that. The second thing is, we've talked a little bit about this, depression and stuff, and I think this is sympathetic toward people that are traumatized or depressed or going through really any mental or emotional distress. I think they're sympathetic to these people, but maybe don't always have the best way to talk about it, especially the older versions of the movies. And that's why I think the 2020 version was trying to discuss that in a little bit, a little bit more realistically with showing her mom just not being able to cope with. Right. And like you said, how that resonates generationally. Yeah. Yeah. And then last, the undercurrent to this movie or like, what what you were saying about the magic of the garden healing Colin that's sort of explicit in 2020, implicit in the other two, that only Mary is able to heal Colin. And I think it's open to interpretation whether you could you could see this as Colin's illness was never physical because he was suffering just because of his dad and the way that his dad was dealing with trauma. Mm -hmm. Or you could see it as this was a real illness that was a manifestation of the trauma his dad was experiencing that could only be healed by the magic of the garden. There's sort of subtlety in the difference between the two, but it is questionable at the end of uh, the 1993 version, like Lord Craven throws away his cane and starts frolicking. You know, mm-hmm. because his physical handicap was all in his head. And I just I just think that's like kind of a weird messed up message for this movie to send. I am sure that uh, this movie's been criticized mm-hmm. by um, people with disabilities. The, the idea of, uh, what's the, the story, Nanny McPhee, she gets more beautiful as the the kids learn to be loving and respectful it's like okay but come on you know like it would be different if colin was clearly actually sick in some way Mm -hmm. but more capable than he realized and i i don't think that the intention of this story is bad i don't think that it's so terrible to discuss these issues because there is nuance and subtlety in the way that you have to discuss but thematically like everything in the story fits together the way that like emotional pain Mm -hmm. can manifest in different ways right in the way that you treat other people and stuff like that and i think like having a physical manifestation of that 
that's like all in his head because it's really his dad just doing this to him. I think like that does make sense. But then I think there some of the imagery is yeah. messed up and really I'm more upset about the the whole partition thing in the twenty twenty because yeah. that that's the most that's the most egregious thing. And to comment on that point, every single one of these movies has at least one throwaway line that is very racist towards Indian people. But I think in each movie should just be viewed as that character being yeah. racist and not being the viewpoint of the movie itself. Mm-hmm. To hear those lines and to know that Mary was uh, living in, in the luxury of the British in India. Right. And, and not grapple with that. And if I may, like, how many people died during the partition? I don't know. Two million people were killed. Wow. And... This movie's about the trauma of one of the colonizers that yeah. caused this to happen, but doesn't grapple. Like, all of the orphans, even in 2020, they're all English or British children of colonial administrators, right? Mm-hmm. That died either during the partition. I mean, it's not explicit why there are so many orphans. They either died because of disease or because of the partition and the violence, right? But to not deal with, you know, the... They cause this, like, greater violence. That's what makes me question the setting so much. That I think it would have, to your point, maybe it was the electricity thing. But, like, if someone came into my office and asked me, what if we set it during the partition? That way we can have electricity. Are you really thinking this through? Like, you haven't really thought about this. So that's, that's more of what bothers me. The rest is. Can I add that it makes one particular line really come across badly in the 2020 version we are pirates we're lords we're conquerors of this fair and beautiful land this is our garden and we love it but maybe but it uh, definitely stuck out don't say it like that it definitely stuck it also out. is sad that dickon is the one who says we're lords and he's saying that right next to someone who's gonna grow up who to be lord. lord craven yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah poor dickon oh he's right. the only one that can't be a lord all right, so David, 1949, 1993, 2020, what is the best version of The Secret Garden? In many ways, the work of a critic is easy. We risk very little, yet enjoy a position over those who offer up their work and their selves to our judgment. I really enjoyed 1949. I think that's the obvious answer. I thought Margaret O'Brien was really, really great. I was actually surprised because I looked it up and this was not, this is kind of a box office bomb. Really? It actually lost money. Oh, wow. And I wonder if that hurt her Margaret career. O'Brien's career. Because it's, it's definitely in the part where her career was slowing down. It started. <laughs> I mean, it sucks. Her career peaked at age, what, seven? Yeah. You know? Too bad. She'd already won her Oscar, yeah. <laughs> you know, half a lifetime ago. <laughs> no, she's 12 years old. It did make me wonder that, uh, but I thought it was really good. I thought the color, when we finally go into the garden and everything's in bloom, I thought that was really effective. And I know that at this point, The Wizard of Oz is 10 years old. It probably doesn't blow people's mind as much as that, but everybody our age, you watch The Wizard of Oz when you're a baby, right? Mm -hmm. And either you don't remember ever seeing it for the first time, or you just don't care because, like... You hate black and white, and that bothers you so much that you're not even processing what it's like to transition into color, you know? Mm -hmm. But it really hit us hard. 
when I, we watch. So few movies have just made me gasp in like, yeah. yes, this is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it was it was a beautifully shot movie yeah. before that happened. And we were just saying it, it really sucks that why, like, color's around by now. Why can't they do this in color? And then to see that uh, unexpectedly, that hit hard. That was really good. And thematically, I thought it was really strong, both showing the way that Mary matured and Margaret O'Brien being able to pull that off because she can look 20 and she can look 10. Mm -hmm. And there are hanging threads. There's always themes in all three of these movies that are kind of pushed to the side. Mm -hmm. That's just, that is what it is. But the horror elements in the beginning, the screaming and the, the wind of the moors mixing together really well. That was so good. Was I know so I said good. it while you were watching, but better than any other movie, you know that the moors are creating this sound and it's like very yeah. all around. And then the screams come in. Mm -hmm. you, you're not quite sure if there's screams at first. Mm -hmm. And it's so good because that's how it should be presented. Mm -hmm. She has no idea Colin's in the house, but there's scary sounds. Yeah, well, it's like, this sounds exactly like screaming, but yeah. we already know that there's weird sounds. So like, yeah. maybe it's just eerie, Like, but it's <laughs> so definitely good. screaming, right? Yeah. The What the garden represented, I thought it was most explicit. And maybe part of that was this is the last one we watched. Mm -hmm. And by then... I had a better sense of what these movies were about because I do think that it is subtle. I think on yeah. your first watch, especially if you watch as a kid, you might not really understand what this is trying to say. Any of these movies, really. Yeah. The story itself. Well, because I think that's part of having child protagonists is the greatest thing that comes across is the sense of childhood. Mm-hmm. And... As there's a child screaming, <laughs> yeah. there are... Little kids playing <laughs> right outside, outside screaming. <laughs> Maybe we can pretend we, sh we uh, recorded this in a secret garden. <laughs> I think it's important to note that 1949 is also the highest rated on IMDb. Mm -hmm. um, so you're not alone in thinking that it's the best movie. And we've basically said this, but it, it does the best job of telling the story. Mm -hmm. um, obviously geographically, as we've mentioned, but also... I really appreciated having a doctor come in and a person of authority say, Colin is fine. Because having Mary say it, especially in the 2020 version, we were talking about how she comes across as just being the smartest person in the room for some reason. Girl, you can't diagnose him, you know? Mm -hmm. But having an actual doctor be like, you got to stop trusting this doctor from the Moors. Mm -hmm. He's just trying to take your money. Your son is fine. That really changes what what you see happen to Colin over the course of the movie. All in all, a neatly told story. Mm -hmm. And I think the later movies get lazy with it because I guess there's this sense that the story is already known, so they feel like they can Maybe. tell it more sloppily. I don't know. I don't know. I, I have this sense that it's because it all these themes are sort of interwoven together that you can pick out something that... Either you read the book or you saw one of the movies, and if you've seen it a hundred times, something you picked up on really stands out to you. Or because of what I've been through, this is what I take from the movie. And what I want to And tell. you can make that movie about it, because that theme is there. Yeah. But, right, like the, the coming of age part of it, the love triangle, 
if you are taking it like that, oh, this meant a lot to me at a time when I was discovering myself in certain mm -hmm. ways and I was discovering the sexual side of myself, like, that is there. You can, like, interpret this in that way and you can make that explicit. Maybe because it's so meaningful and maybe you're right that because these previous movies have been made, the people who make these movies are so familiar with it that they know what, they, what story they want to tell and can make that movie. And that maybe it seems a little sloppier when you actually watch that because those aren't the themes that are as self-explanatory or as, as cinematic as the themes that were explored in 1949. Can I read you one thing that I, I found on the Wikipedia page for 1949? Please do. A modern critic wrote that at the time of its release, critics, quote, felt that the allegorical and psychological implications that have been carried over from the book are clearly for the grown-up trade not only that, but a good bit of the production is designed to create eerie terror that may discourage parents from letting Moppets see the pic. But in an era, in the current era, she means, such criticism seems quaint, and The Secret Garden seems ahead of its time. Uh, sort of bringing up what you were saying about 93, because she's so young, it must be a kid's movie. Mm -hmm. People in 49 were like, the main character's a kid, this should be a kid's movie. But then but when it's it scary was and... an adult movie... Starring mm -hmm. a kid, they were like, what is this? What, or this? maybe when they thought about kids' movies at the time, kids' movies didn't deal with, you know, they didn't have horror elements and they didn't have things that could be scary. Yeah. You know, much like Pan's Labyrinth or Coraline, those are kids' movies, but they are scary movies, right? I would not call those kids' movies. <laughs> really? Um, although I guess Neil Gaiman considers Coraline to be a children's book that he wrote. Maybe Coraline over... Pan's Labyrinth. They're, they're coming you of age stories. You can kill someone the way that one guy gets killed in Pan's Labyrinth and be like, yep, this is for kids. Well, it's also about a war that traumatized an entire nation, so, you know. David, I've got to disagree with you. You are so wrong! I think you knew this was coming. The 1993 version is the best version of this movie and it never needs to be remade again because that is so good. I love it. I okay. love it. Okay. It is good, I will say. I don't like the main girl as much as you do, but that is my biggest grievance with that movie. And I think that they gave, they got Maggie Smith, and I don't know at what point Maggie Smith became Maggie Smith, but she was definitely Maggie Smith by this movie, right? I think so. Okay. I think anything we know Maggie Smith in, She's already she Maggie was Smith. already big, because she was making movies when she was younger. We yeah. saw her in um, Death on the Nile. Who was she in Death on the Nile? She was the maid for the wealthy woman, I think. I think they got Maggie Smith and they gave her more because of that. And they felt like this story needed a villain anyway. And because we got Maggie Smith, let's make her the villain. Let's make her a big part of the story. You know what? That adds to the idea about Lord Craven in that movie being more redeemable. Mm -hmm. Because Maggie Smith has been Right. One. She's sort of sort taking of some of that. the children. Yeah, yeah. That takes some of the heat off him, right? Yeah, Absolutely. But, okay, we don't have to discuss it, but on a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you think nostalgia plays into your assessment? 10. Oh, okay. my God, I love then, this then, movie. then that's all, okay? But it's a good movie. Nostalgia, but let me also say, it's beautiful. And I don't think it's wrong to place greater value on beauty and aesthetic over clear-cut storytelling mm -hmm. and i think the competition here is definitely between 49 and 93 mm -hmm. and if i were to sit down and watch a movie again i'd rather watch something beautiful than something told perfectly 
Especially if it's the mm. same story and I already know the story. Mm-hmm. Let me also say, I never want to see the 2020 version ever again. Is there anything that you thought that that movie did well that the other two didn't or that they could have maybe picked up on a theme or something? Oh. I did. I We mentioned it earlier, but I did like her trying to grow up, saying this is the moment that I have to grow up. I think it makes sense to set it up like that. Like, this is a girl who knows that she needs to grow up but doesn't know how yeah. because there's nobody there. There never was, and those people that weren't there for her before are now dead. Yeah, if they'd explored that. Mm-hmm. But that really comes down to, like, only a couple of scenes. Her telling yeah. the story at the beginning, her trying to tell the story to the boy, then immediately throwing the doll away, not letting that take a beat before she throws the doll away. Mm-hmm. That was really terribly paced. Then reading the letter in the and garden. I think maybe it could have been more subtle. Like, <laughs> yeah, could have been she, a lot more she, subtle. She could have just stopped talking, stopped telling the story, and then dropped the doll yeah. without saying, I need to grow up or whatever. Yeah. I'm, not a, I'm not a child. Right? Yeah, exactly. Then one of the letters her mom says, when they're reading the letters that the mom and the aunt wrote back and forth, it says, oh, like Mary was telling a story today. And that's when Mary starts to accept her mom might have loved her mm-hmm. because that's what Mary values about herself is yeah. being a storyteller. And then at the end, she's telling the story about how they all love each other. All right, it's there. That was five scenes. Yeah. But it's so just engulfed in this messiness with let's understand your parents better and Mm -hmm. you should just accept that they were sad and not care about the fact that they neglected you. Mm -hmm. And I don't like that. And I didn't like the movie and the colors were too bright and the CGI Robin was terrible and I hated the dog. And Colin Firth is a great actor, but this was not a good role for him to take. And the lines he was given were chunky and blocky and obvious. Chunky and blocky, yeah. Yep, and that's what I said. Sticking to it. I hated it. I didn't think it was that bad, but like, all right, fair enough. It was the worst of these three. When we were first watching it, we were just like, what the fuck, is the garden alive? Like, why is that happening? It's weird because it was like subtly magic. Mm -hmm. Like, the magical thing. Subtly but explicitly. Yeah, you see there's this one plant that changes from green to red and i'm like oh is the underside of the leaves red what am i seeing here at one point all of the ferns start to shake because colin is like being placed in the river flowers come off of her dress it's it's like weird moments but then it was explicitly when the tree was building itself for her to climb out mm-hmm. so it's like how magic are you mm-hmm. what what's what is this and magic? what's the intention of the magic yeah we... exactly we get later that I think the garden is in some way part of the soul of Colin's mother. And that the intention is to continue the love that she had. Yeah, yeah. No, So you're saying 93, I'm saying 1949. We're both saying 2020 was meh. At, at best, that's what you're... At best. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Last thing, how would you improve it? Or do you have an idea for a director or actors or anything like that? most scathingly brilliant idea. I do. I have a couple of ideas. Okay. Director, Autumn DeWilde. Okay. I sang her praises for Emma. I'm obviously a big Florence and the Machine fan, and I really like the way that she makes those music videos, and then she's clearly shown that she's capable of doing feature-length films. What Autumn DeWilde does is really understand beauty and how it's not 
just what you're seeing, but also what you're hearing. Mm -hmm. This is something we haven't mentioned about the 93 version yet, but which I love about it is the music. Um, Green Sleeves is repeated throughout the movie, which I think definitely takes you to a time and place. You know, it's an old piece of music, but just overall, the music of the 93 version really captures the different sensations and feelings throughout the movie. Well, the the music is really just green sleeves and it sort of chops up the themes of that and uses them in different ways throughout the movie, right? For a lot of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's it's there sort of throughout. We saw Autumn DeWilde do really well with music in Emma where she coupled both music that captured a feeling and local music of the time sung in traditional ways. And I think she would she would understand the importance of this is a story in Yorkshire at this time. Mm-hmm. I think she would bring that in, in in a lot of different ways. So I'd just love to see her do this movie because it would also be beautiful. I think she wouldn't just go for oversaturation like the 2020 version did. She would just show us what a beautiful garden looks like. And then aside from that, I think that there should be a lesson taken from how well 1949 told the story. Mm-hmm. My first and foremost thing is the garden doesn't need to be gigantic. Even the 93 version, I think I have a concept of the layout of the garden, but it is sort of like sprawling. Maybe I don't understand the wealth of manor and estate owners in Britain. Maybe they could have a huge garden that is walled in. I mean, I've been to the garden in Dublin with all the deer in it, and it's massive. So I guess there could be an idea of a huge garden. There could be, but I think that you're right. I think your instinct is correct that bigger isn't always better. Yeah. And understanding the geography and the concentrated beauty of the garden. Exactly. It should be concentrated. It shouldn't be sprawling. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that is something cinematic. You can view, like, what cinematic means in a couple different ways, but obviously you can say, like, showing, like, a landscape, you know, a sprawling landscape that's cinematic in its own way, but Mm -hmm. the way that in 1930, excuse me, in 1949, when they walk into the Technicolor Garden for the first time, yeah, it's like one room, basically, but it's beautiful, and it's just wall-to-wall flowers, and everything is come to life in literal and figurative ways and you don't need something enormous something that is uh like a national park Uh, just a small bit to add to that if we're going to believe that mary and dickon have been tending to the garden you know it's more believable if it's a size that two you know 12 year olds could be taking care of (laughs) right and also imagine like your favorite places that park bench, you know, that like exactly. I sit on that bench, yeah. I sit under that tree. It doesn't need to be a, well, my favorite place is like the city of Chicago, every <laughs> spot in Chicago, yeah. because nobody's been to every corner in Chicago, exactly. right? And it's the same with, with this park. It's like, okay, you can have a park that's your favorite place, right? But what's your favorite place there? Especially people who are experiencing it with one other specific person, they'll know, okay, our favorite thing is we're going to go have tea under this tree or we're going to like picnic in this one particular spot. It doesn't need to be bigger than that to be meaningful. Yeah. And in fact, I think maybe the smaller it is, the more, more specific. Meaningful. Which it was in 2020 and in 1949. 
in 2020, they really, even though the, the garden was enormous, there was one spot in particular where uh, the sisters were swinging. And yeah. That specific place is where she wanted to die. Right? That should have been the whole garden. That should have been the whole garden. Yeah. I love the layout of the garden in the 49 version. And that's what I would like to see with more camera exploration of the garden. Um, because as I complained earlier, it's like, <laughs> you can take that camera right up to the flower. <laughs> you know, let us, let us see it. All right, final thoughts about what my version of the movie would need are two conversations that I think will... Can I guess? I think you can. I can guess at least one. All I'll say about them is that they would be hard to pull off without coming off as preachy or, you know, it'd be hard to really hit the mark on them. I think one is we need to address that Archibald has been a shitty father. Yep, we need Lord Craven to actually reflect... At yeah. the end, yes. Yeah. Not just be happy that Colin's walking. It's weird because the climax has to happen, and it has to happen quickly. It's like there's this huge buildup with all these themes that culminate in what happens at the end where Lord Craven discovers that he was being a dick for the last 10 years because he should have been dealing with this grief and trauma, right? Mm -hmm. And he should have been there for his son and now for his niece. You can't have that take half an hour. So I think it would be very hard to pull off. Not to say that I think you're wrong. I think you're right. I, I understand why these movies have it as like a moment where he walks into the garden, he sees his son, and he realizes that he shouldn't have walled off this part of himself because he needs to be open for his kids. I think you could lay the seeds for that in London. Both the 49 version and very briefly in the 93 version, we get shots of Lord Craven in London. And I think he could have some experience which creates some cognitive dissonance for him. Just mm -hmm. like something that he sees or a conversation that he has or overhears that might make him start realizing that his mind's been in the wrong But at the same time, I, I also think you were right when you said that... The less Lord Craven, the better. I think 1949 balances this pretty well, but it's about Mary, and to a lesser extent, it's Lord Craven's story, and it's these two intertwining stories. Mary's story, for that to work best, you have to have the less Lord Craven, the better. But for Lord Craven's story, obviously, you need what you're talking about, those, those moments where he's getting something that contradicts the way he's been acting. And it's just, it's hard... It would just be very difficult to do both of those. You're right. It would be tough to pull off, but I think it's what it's what we want. And I mean, at the very least, we've gotten so little that even just a little bit of an acknowledgement of his shittiness would be a better way to end the story. Second conversation, you think you know what it is? If it was me, I would say there's weird colonialism stuff in this movie. And that is an aspect of the conversation that I'm thinking of. One thing. The movie's not really about that. So the fact that that is the setting is just like this sort of jarring thing. I think I have a solution for you. And you can either excise it, which I think you could fairly criticize as a cop-out. Because everyone's going to know that's what Francis Hodgson Burnett wrote about, right? Well, no, but... You're just you know. eliminating the unsavory parts of the story. Although there have been Jane Austen stories that you and I have read where we're like, yeah, you just leave that out. Yeah, minor things. It would just be tricky to do that without being like, yeah, you know, you kind of copped out the reality of the situation. And right. I think because 
it doesn't really... Because, like, who has a secret garden? Fucking ridiculously rich British people, <laughs> uh-huh. right? It only really makes sense that it's British nobility that mm-hmm. this is happening to. I don't really have another solution for that. So if you have the solution, why don't you hit me with it? What's the other problem in the story, David? The weird class divide between yeah. Mary and Colin and Dickon. Dickon can be a more, like, sort of enlightened person. You know, Mary's coming at him with her snootiness, with her spoiledness. And he might have a conversation where he actually puts her in her place and goes, you don't understand my life and where I am coming from. And you didn't understand the people who were around you in India either. Mm-hmm. And so I think he could bring that in, like point out to her to explicitly, what position she's in. Explicitly con- connect colonialism to the way that she is misbehaving. Whether or not they would incorporate the commentary about India, which I think would be more than appropriate to do, I still really want to see Dickon. I don't want to see him ride off into the moors alone ever again. You know, mm-hmm. I want him to tell Mary his life is different than hers, and she needs to recognize and respect that. And so does Colin when he starts hanging out with them. Mm-hmm. Those are the two conversations that I think would be really, really tricky. I know that if I saw them in a remake of The Secret Garden... You'd roll your eyes and be like, that's yeah, a cop-out? I would roll my eyes and I'd be like, that was so ham-fisted, that was so obvious, they just yeah. said that because they need to say that. So it's like, it's a tough thing to pull off, as yeah. much as I think it's necessary. Yeah. I think even asking for the movie to present that, it'd be hard for the movie to deliver. You know, thinking about like Autumn to Wild and Emma, do you remember when we watched the 1990s version of Emma where they had the one shot where the guy was talking about, I don't know how like poor he was, and then the camera just panned over and showed like their manor house, you know? In like the way that the movie was presenting all this information, it was implicitly like, Also, these people are, like, totally out of touch and fucking ridiculous, you know? And there was some of that in Autumn to Wilde's version, too. I don't know. It's such an earnest story that I don't think you could add that, like, sarcastic touch. You know, you you have to address it head on. So it's just really tricky. Yeah, it's really tricky to point it out or to, like, try to adapt this story to get rid of all that crap that isn't thematically involved in the book because presumably the author doesn't think twice about those things. All right. Well, did you like my uh, my plans? Director. No, I, I, I do think you're geography. right. I do think that, uh, you know, I think Autumn DeWilde is obviously great, and I want her to direct more shit. I'm trying to remember now. I think I've recommended her for at least one other movie on our podcast. I mean, if she's so made one movie and it was great. <laughs> I love that movie, so <laughs> I want to see more. Yeah. It's also like we can't say, oh, this is who we want to play Mary because the 10-year-olds of today are going to be 12 in two years and they're going to yeah. age out of this role. Yeah. Although Margaret O'Brien could look. Uh, she well, could probably still play 11. They got um, they got Amir Wilson to play Dickon in 2020, who you recognized as being the kid from... Will, Will Perry. From, uh, what's his that called? His Dark Materials. Yeah, His Dark Materials. Will and His Dark Materials. But the Lyra in his Dark Materials is mm-hmm. the same girl who was in the Logan movie. Yeah. I mean, she would have made a good Mary, probably. But maybe. I would say maybe too old now. Logan came out. I mean, really, she just did such a great six job. Six years ago. She, you know. That's one of the most impressive child acting performances. Daphne Keen? I can think is that of. her name? Yeah, she's really good. 
I think she's also sort of the precocious preteen kind of oh, type. So it might it might come off a bit like the twenty twenty version. Yeah, I think it's 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 just such a hard. I think you do need a great actress for Mary that can be a little kid and can be older. Well, I think know? it's tough too because Mary's an like unsavory personality, so it's tough to get that, you know, and then have people like what that kid has done, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what they've pulled off over the course of the movie. <laughs> Can I just add one final thing that we never talked about? Yeah. I loved the jump rope. There's a, there's, in all these movies, she gets a jump rope, I guess, from Martha <laughs> at some point, and is uh-huh. like, go fuck around with this jump rope. And for, for like a minute, she doesn't know how because nobody teaches her. Mm-hmm. Except in 2020, she just immediately knows how, right? In 1993, it takes her a while to learn. And then in the 1949 version... She is, like, sneaking around the garden, and the gardener catches her and is like, what do you have in your pocket? Because she just found the key to the garden that mm-hmm. hasn't gone in yet. She's like, I just have a jump rope, but she doesn't know how to Skipping do it. Skipping rope. Yeah, so she just jump ropes away from him. She she nails the first, like, three. Or she she gets the first couple, and then she's like, fuck, I actually know how to do this. Yeah, and she's just acting. elated. <laughs> And then, like, she goes a few more steps, and she gets real cocky with it, and then just face plants <laughs> on, like, the 10th jump. Yeah, it's cute. It's so good. Yeah. Like, that was that was a great moment. And, like, the jump rope, it's such an unnecessary scene in most of the others. I think it's just meant to show this girl doesn't know anything. I think it also, it's important because it's, like, the first gift she's been given that is only because someone cares about her, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think it matters. And that there's nobody there to, to actually teach her yeah. teach her how to do it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Because Martha can't really stick around. Right. Yeah. Like, Martha is the only person that cares about her in the beginning, but she doesn't have the time or the, the skills necessary to actually be a mother for her, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, I will continue to watch the 93 version every every few years for the rest of my life because I love it. What about 1949? <laughs> Do you think you'll add it to the rotation? If ever there was, uh, like, you know, I don't know. If one of our nieces or nephews liked the 93 version, I'd be like, hey, you know what you should watch? The 49 version. And then they'd be like, oh, my aunt is making me come watch this movie again because that's probably going to be my MO when they get older. <laughs> mm. All right. Well, I think that's about all we had. Thanks for uh, listening to our discussion of what is a very interesting story and i think we saw three interesting takes thanks for listening to our first super discount this has been claire and david thank you for listening
Take you there. Won't you let me take you there? 